Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good. You all look good and full from Thanksgiving. It's good to see you all here. I hope everybody had a good, restful Thanksgiving and that the crazy of family get-togethers wasn't too hard on you. Everybody make it through okay? Relatively unscathed? Okay, good. Good. Good to hear. Well, I'm excited to share today. Uh, If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you personally, my name is Pastor Tyler Green. I'm our next-gen pastor here, and I have the honor of serving our kids, youth, and young adult ministries, and uh, myself with an incredible team. We are seeing God move in some really cool ways in young people's lives. And so it's just an honor to be here to share this morning with you guys. Today, I'm going to wrap up our Strengthen series, and I'm going to take it in a direction that gets very specific to the individual, to the person. And in doing that, I believe that as the individuals are strengthened, there is a communal ripple effect that happens when healing starts to happen. I don't think it's by coincidence that as we were in this worship set, as Phil was ministering and then Pastor Dave comes up and ministers, that there was a clear thread of expectation. There's a clear thread that God is preparing hearts to do something. And I'm going to get a little off script here for a second because I just felt God put this on my heart so strong. We're going to go into this point later, but in Luke chapter 5, there's a moment where Jesus is ministering in a home packed full of people. And when Jesus ministers, you would think that wherever he goes, the Spirit of God should just move freely and it's always working. But we see instances of scripture that Jesus was unable to heal at specific moments. But in this case, in Luke chapter 5, it says that the power of the Holy Spirit was upon Jesus to heal. Luke made a specific note to mention that, that when he was present and observing Jesus, he felt that the room was different. And as Pastor Dave was sharing and Phil was ministering during worship, I just was taken back to that, that text that there is clearly something about to happen. And so what I'm going to encourage you is that whatever you came in with, whatever has been holding your heart captive, whatever bondage, whatever oppression has been weighing on your soul, that you would extend your faith even just an inch if you have it to say, God, I need a touch today because I believe that he will meet that mustard seed amount of faith you have this morning to see breakthrough for your soul. Amen? Today, I want to tell the story of a couple of men who encountered God at some point in their life, but their paths led to two completely different outcomes. And then what I want us to do is personalize that experience and see where the Holy Spirit might lead you to respond in terms of where you find yourself in the crossroads of walking with the Lord. I want to take you back to December 6th, 1878. It's a time in history where there's a lot going on and there's chaos, but there was a young man born in Eastern Europe in the nation of Georgia. He was the third of three kids, but unfortunately his two older siblings died in infancy, so he was uh, an only child. As he grew up in this home, his dad was a terribly abusive alcoholic. 
History recounts this man's story that as he grew up, his dad would be so abusive that it was not uncommon for him to uh, have blood in his urine or that his organs were moving because of broken ribs. He was so physically harmed that his body was taking deformation on the inside. It was so abusive. And so in his teen years, he was able to escape the oppression of his dad's abuse with his mom. And they flee to another part of the country And as God would lead it, he had an opportunity to enroll in a seminary program at 16 years old. You would think that this is an answer to prayer, and I believe at a moment it was. And so early on, this young man takes to his lessons. He is reading scripture. He's uh, engaging in the classroom. He's actually singing in the choir. He is an A student, honor roll, seminary student. He seems like he is on a crash course towards ministry and evangelism and God is going to use him. But the issue is, is that as he got a little bit older, you know those crazy years, 16, 17, 18, parents of teenagers, we get that? All right, I'm not one, but I'm sure you get it. Um, That's a chaotic time of life. And this young man starts to develop and the Lord is working on him but he still had some trauma left over from what his dad had done to him growing up. He had this dad issue. And as he's uh, sprouting into a young man trying to understand Father God, he can't quite make the leap. And so as a teenager would, he starts to rebel. He's pushing up against the teacher's teaching and he is resenting the teaching. He is pushing back and he is a disruption in class. So much so that he starts getting uh, resenting uh, uh, theology and he starts pushing against the teaching of the nuns and of the priests at that time. So much so that the teachers were so sick of him, they would stick him in solitary confinement for days on end. And I'm not talking about a prison. This is a seminary program for young men. He would be left alone, stewing on the hurt and the unanswered questions and his soul was almost eroding because of the unhealed hurt in his heart. And so as God was trying to reach out to him through this program, through this seminary, it was hitting this brick wall of unforgiveness, of pain, of trauma, of an unhealed soul. This young man at 21 would then leave at the end of the term and go on to go and be one of the most heinous, demonically possessed, atrocious humans to ever live. Joseph Stalin. In a way, I read that story and I felt so compelled as, God, you were knocking on the door of his heart at one point. Why couldn't it get through? God, you're so big, you're so powerful. How did you not pierce that heart of a heart? And the thing that I was reminded of is that God, in Revelation chapter 3, says he stands at the door and what? He knocks. He doesn't kick down the door. He doesn't bang down the door and demand entry. He waits for you to open the door. And there is hurt, pain, trauma, and unresolved soul wounds that can keep a door closed right in Jesus' face to an end that unfortunately that erosion of his soul got to a point that was so dark that he became one of the most infamous people to ever live. I want to compare this story to a man who was actually on a very similar path, Saul of Tarsus. This man was well-trained in scripture, knew the word, 
but there was something broken in his soul that upon looking at Jesus and his followers, he was completely blinded to it. He couldn't see what God was doing. Saul is the man, if you were to look in the latter part or the end of the gospels, the early part of Acts, the very first martyr, Stephen, he's out preaching the gospel. And then Saul is the one who would rally the Pharisees and have him stoned, nodding in approval over his death. All the while missing that Jesus is watching over this and he is almost giving a standing ovation to Stephen. This man who knows scripture, memorized almost the entire Old Testament, was missing the Messiah. Why? Because there was something broken in his soul. But here's where the story pivots from Stalin's. There's a moment in Acts chapter 9, and I actually want us to look at this. I'm not going to have us read it. I'm going to encourage you to go back and read this. But in Acts chapter 9, we see the story of Saul's conversion. Saul, in this tirade of anger and of what he believes is justice, but is really blind in arrogance, is uh, going about killing Christians. And he gets permission from the authorities to go and travel to Damascus to go and continue looking for people following the way. And it says, it doesn't matter if it's women, men, children, I will take them and they will be thrown in jail. He was on a mission. Talk about a hard heart. And so we know, on, we know in the story, if you've heard it before, he's on the road to Damascus and Jesus descends out of heaven in a sense and the glory is so bright, it knocks him off his horse. And Jesus confronts him and is saying, why are you persecuting me? Why are you hurting me? Why are you doing this? And Saul at the time has no response other than to say, who are you? A man that read so many books of the Bible pointing to this guy, it all comes to face-to-face -face moment and all he can say is, who are you? Friends, it doesn't matter how much head knowledge we gain. If we don't know the person of Jesus, we could be looking him in the face and say, who are you? Saul was confronted with the glory of Jesus and had no idea who it was. All he knew is that it was power moving. And so as he's walking, or as he is, I'm sorry, knocked off his horse and he's now blinded, he is told to then go into a city and wait. No further instruction, no further words from Saul. I find it so interesting then that he is going to go to Damascus and spend three days blind. No food, no water. He's not a prisoner. He's not a, a POW or anything like that. He is on his own volition, waiting in the city for something. He doesn't know. We have the luxury of knowing how the story ends, but if you're Saul, I want you to think of him. Here's a guy who thought he was doing it right. He thought he had the whole course of action mapped out and it was going to be this righteous act that he was doing. Now all of a sudden he finds himself blind in a foreign city waiting for something from this angelic glorious being that he had no idea really who it was. But I can imagine maybe you're like me and you've had some situations in your life that knock you off your horse. And it takes a little time to reflect. It doesn't just get fixed right away. And it's something about the waiting. 
It's something about that waiting that stirs the heart in all the right directions. Is anybody connecting to that? Does anybody else feel that? That it's in the waiting sometimes that you start to feel the heart turning. The Lord was knocking on his heart. The Lord was knocking on his heart. At the same time, there's a man in another town named Ananias. Ananias is a man of God and he gets this prophetic vision, this word from God that says, I need you to go to this city and I need you to pray for this man named Saul of Tarsus. He's waiting for you and he's blind. You're going to pray for him and that he will receive his sight and receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Ananias is no dummy. He knows exactly who God is telling him to talk to, the Joseph Stalin of his day. And he says, God, there's no way. I will not do it. And God then reaffirms, no, you must do it. He is my chosen instrument to speak to the Gentiles. I must show him what he will have to go through because what he is going to do will have ripple effects throughout history. It's why we can stand here today. The ministry of a man who had to wait blind for three days after some of the most heinous acts in, of, of human capability, God's grace extended and says, no, I'm still going to use him. I'm going to use you to get to him. So in that waiting, Ananias, in his obedience, goes, and then this is where the heart of God is on full display. Ananias walks into the house. This man who has done nothing but kill his friends, he walks in and the Bible says he puts his hand on him and he says, Brother Saul. That's a pretty profound statement to somebody you watched murder your friends. You don't know, he has no idea that his heart's ready to be changed. He just is obeying God. He could be turned around and killed for all he knows. But the heart of God was on him and he put his hand on him and he, that moment, Paul's, Saul becoming Paul, his identity changed. He went from adversary to brother. He prophetically spoke the identity that God was instilling in him and, soul, and Saul's soul began to heal. When I was talking about Joseph Stalin and talking about Saul, I talk about soul wounds, things that are so deep within us that we don't even realize are there until circumstances kind of make them draw out like a volcano and they come out all weird and wonky and hurt. There's something on the inside of us that God wants so desperately to heal. And sometimes it takes a circumstance that's so hard and so real and so at the core of us for us to get the attention, uh, for us to get our attention on God. And so Paul receives this blessing from Ananias and it says like scales, they fall off his eyes. And it says he's immediately baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he begins to be in community with the disciples. Why is getting baptized right away so important? We just saw it several, a few weeks back, water baptism. This is the moment where you identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The old me has died, and the new me has come to life. New creation life. The part of Saul at that moment, Saul of Tarsus, murderer, self-righteous, prideful, arrogant person, that person is now dead. 
And Paul, the one who, the Paul the apostle, the one who would write most of the New Testament, who would further the church, who would be in prison, beaten with rods, who would take the gospel to the Gentiles, God's chosen instrument comes out of those waters in new creation life. And because of that, there is healing that took place in his soul. God can now use him. Why do I tell this story? I tell this story because in all of us, there is a call on your life. A call that God is whispering over you from the day you were conceived. He says, no, no, this is my chosen instrument. I have a plan for them. I have a destiny for them. I have a call so great, the Bible says, we cannot even comprehend how big it is. And then he looks at all of the mistakes and sin and hurts that happen, and he says, but I have a remedy. I'm going to send somebody. I'm going to send Jesus, and I'm going to heal that wound. And that's the beauty of it. When Saul gets knocked off his horse, you could almost call that his salvation moment. And then everything after that is the sanctifying process of walking it out, being discipled by the body of Christ, by the Holy Spirit, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, and by the body of Christ coming together. And because of that, we get Paul. I don't know why I'm not trying to cover up the atrocities, but part of me just found myself thinking, what if there was someone who was meant to go pray over Joseph Stalin? What if there was somebody who was meant to be sent to him and just didn't? I don't know. I, I could be just filling in blanks that aren't meant to be filled, but it just had my heart stirred that there was something there. God didn't abandon him. I think there was just a rejection. Friends, we all have the capability to say yes or to say no to the Lord. It's the craziest thing. This is why we love God, because love is the choice that we have to say yes or no. If we were forced to say yes and Paul just became a Holy Spirit robot that did everything that God commanded, then that's not love. That's not relationship. That's robots. What we get to do as people of God is we get to say, God, I choose you. And then you go to sleep and you wake up and say, God, I choose you. The Bible tells us that we should daily, what? Pick up our cross and follow him. It's a daily choice. And in that process, the sanctifying process of walking with the Lord, the things that once so easily entangled us start to break off. But here's the thing. Sometimes there's some really hard parts on our heart. I hope I'm not the only one in the room that has had some really hard heart things that needed to get worked through. I hope I'm among friends that have had things revealed in their spirit that are just kind of not fun to look at. And you say, God, ah, this is all I got. Can you work with this? And every time, he says, absolutely. I can absolutely work with this. There is a healing that can happen when we see God move like that. So I want to highlight this one point here really quick that in, uh, at the end of Acts chapter 9, kind of the end of Paul's story here, we see that after his conversion and his healing, we get to our key verse of the series. This verse, it says in Acts 9.31, it says, Then the churches throughout all of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they were multiplied. 
I don't believe it is on accident we get this statement at the end of Paul's conversion because I believe that the ripple effect of one healed heart has the ability to create peace in a community around you, in your family, in your family tree, in your homes, in your churches, in our workplace. One healed soul has the ability to ripple peace, the peace of God, in a way that we can't even comprehend. A soul that is healed by God is a ripple effect of the peace of God. What's kind of paradoxical here is that it is actually our complete release of control that brings that healing process. We think that it's self-help and grit and determination. Trust me, there is a place for discipline and to enact that discipline on our spirit. But there is something about saying, God, it's just kind of, it's not a good picture, but here it is. Will you do something with it? Listen, I've had to do this so many times. I stand up here not as somebody who has a squeaky clean heart. I do this as somebody who had to take this broken thing and say, God, can you still use this? Can you still use that? Maybe you're in the room and you're thinking the same question. God, I kind of just wandered in here. And I don't know if what's in here is workable anymore. I don't know if what's in here is redeemable anymore. Can I tell you, that's such a lie. The enemy would love to keep you convinced that whatever happened to you or you did or circumstances that had you in a bad spot, that that is unredeemable. And can I say that God who would do it for Saul would do it for you. Isaiah 32, 17 through 18. This is a powerful, powerful uh, prophetic declaration from the Old Testament. It says, the fruit of that, righteous, of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, and in, 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 in undisturbed places of rest. What is righteousness? It's right standing with God. When you give your heart to the Lord, you can stand in, in peace with God. And that ripple effect to your home is n- nothing else that this world could offer could do that. I felt kind of compelled to say this. There is, we can provide all the security. Men, let me just hit this. Men, there are so many things of security that we could provide our families but what you leave for them will wither and die someday. What you leave in them is infinitely more important than whatever you could lay up on earth for them. I'm telling you, men, we have to do this. I'm saying this as somebody who has had to figure it out, figuring it out, and trying to stand in a culture that would say, no, it's the opposite. It's what you can give them, not what you can put in them. Can I tell you that the scriptures would tell us that what you do as a man of God leading your home towards the feet of Jesus is so much more infinitely important that if we let everything else go and you just do that well, Can I tell you how different our homes would be? Isaiah tells us that it will be a a peaceful place. Moms, it's not your job to just be the sole carrier of the spiritual weight of your home. It's too exhausting to do it on your own. 
It's a collaborative joint effort. Kids, don't be an anchor on them. Go with them because when you do that, there is a peace, a covering, an anointing over your home that will stand against whatever the world will throw against you. But I want to wrap it up with this one thought. Sometimes getting to that place of healing, getting to that place with the Lord, it's really hard sometimes to do it on our own. In Luke chapter 5, we see this story of a house full of people trying to hear Jesus. And then there's a man finding himself on the outside looking in who is completely paralyzed. And by the grace of God, he had four really good friends. Those four friends, they put him on a mat. They carry him up the house. They remove the tiles of the roof and they lower him to the feet of Jesus. It's a very humbling, very lowly posture to be in, to be carried by your friends to the feet of Jesus. But can I tell you, there is not one human on earth that should ever feel like they are above needing to be brought to the feet of Jesus by a friend, a family member, a pastor. We all will need that in seasons of our life. There is something profound about when that happens because when that man was lowered through the, through the ceiling, Jesus saw something that everybody else thought was just going to be a physical healing. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. He went right to the soul. Amen. He went right to the soul. And in modeling that, he then led to the physical healing. Jesus often would show us that there is an inside-out model to this healing process. And I can look around this room, anybody online, I'm sure there are physical needs, but I know probably even more abundance. There are soul hurts, wounds, traumas, and gashes that need a touch from God. And that, watch how that healing leads to physical healing, leads to breakthrough in the physical. God wants to knock on the door of your heart. And when he gets to that, watch how it starts to spring out into, the, uh, into everything else of your life. God wants to heal your soul. But here's where I'm going to challenge us with my final point, is that we need a Jesus community. I found myself not too long ago as somebody who never thought I would need to be laying on a mat. I prided myself in being someone who carried the mat. And I would pick up all four corners and try and get every student, every person in my church, every kid carrying the mat like them in a sack. I'm going to try and get them to Jesus. Killing myself, trying, trying, trying. Until life just happened. And I found myself in a posture where I couldn't move. Spiritually. I found myself laying on a mat. And when I didn't know who would pick up my corners, God brought me a church family, a youth family, brought me pastors, brought me my parents, brought me friends that met me right where I was at. My broken soul, laying completely helpless at some point. And no one judged me on that. They just walked up, took up a corner, and got me to Jesus. Amen. 
Worship team, you guys can come on out. I don't know where you find yourself right now. But I know that sometimes healing and the process of it is hard and it can feel lonely and it can feel like nobody understands. But can I tell you that when God implemented the church, he meant that you would always have people willing to pick up your mat. Our soul right with God is so vitally important. Like I said with Paul, your soul's healing has a ripple effect for your family, your community, and the world around you. But even if you find yourself today unable to get there on your own, you can lean on a community of people who are willing to get you there. But you can't run from it. My first instinct in pain was to go and hide. And I couldn't. My people chased me down. They chased me down. I laid my soul bare before my youth group and all their parents. And the first thing they did was hug me. They just hugged me. That was a corner of the map. And then Pastor Tony, Pastor Chris, Dave, Phil, the staff, they just wrapped their arms around me so much. That was a corner of my map. I had friends in state and out of state buy me a plane ticket to go and visit them out of state. Just give me a weekend away and love on me. That was a corner of my map. I had my parents, my grandparents come in and support me in so many ways. That was a corner of my map. And when all of my strength was gone, I found myself at the feet of Jesus. And he whispered this over my broken soul. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. And I felt healing start to rise up. And for months, I've walked in that healing, that restoration, in that breakthrough that I didn't think was possible until I was at the feet of Jesus in a way that I never thought I would ever find myself there. Why do I tell this story? Why do I bear my heart open for you right now? It's because if it can happen to me and I'm just a whatever guy, it can happen to all of us. Pain and hurt and soul hurt happens. But left unchecked, it can erode and become cancerous, so to speak, to our soul. But if we're willing to take the courageous step and say, I need help, I need healing, I need to get to the feet of Jesus, I will not be denied by a house that looks full, I will not be denied by a, uh, by a Jesus that seems too busy, I will not be denied by, because my story is too insignificant, I need to get to Jesus and I need someone to help get me there. That might be you today. That might be you today, but that's okay because you have a church family here. You have intercessors praying for you, laboring in prayer. You have pastors that love you. You have a community of people looking all over this place that want to get you to the feet of Jesus because only in him is the healing. You can't heal yourself. 
We can't heal ourselves. I found that out the hard way. No matter how much I tried to fix me, it fell woefully short. I was basically made of popsicle sticks as I tried to hold myself together. It wasn't until Jesus put his hand on my soul and I saw life come from death. We need a touch from God, church. That stuff that is on the deep inside of us that has plagued us, for some of us, generations. Your father's, father's, father's sins are tracking you down. What was done to you, you might be a grandparent now, but what was done to you as a kid has chased you down for five decades. That can be healed. Maybe you're a teenager, a college student, and words that have been spoken over you have already put a dent in your soul. That can be healed. And if you find yourself today unable to get to this altar to respond on your own, I need you to grab a couple friends that'll get you here. Because it's at the feet of Jesus, a step of faith that Jesus meets. In Luke chapter 5, it says that Jesus marveled at their faith. I love the plural nature of it. He didn't just look at the guy on the mat, it was his four friends. Maybe you need to grab four friends who are willing to go to the feet of Jesus no matter how hard it might be. There's this quote I want to end with from Charles Spurgeon on the quality of the person who will get you to Jesus. He says, they need to be strong for the burden is heavy. They need to be resolute for the work will try their faith. They need to be prayerful for otherwise they will labor in vain and they must be believing or they will be utterly useless. I look around this room and I know the quality of our staff and pastors and I've seen the quality of the people in this church firsthand that they meet every one of these. And because we have this and we have a very, very good God. I believe just like what happened in Luke chapter 5, the Spirit of God was in the room for healing. And I believe we have that here today. So here's what I'm going to ask. We're going to go into a time of worship, but we're not going to sing right away. We're going to take about a minute. I want you to ask God really honestly, God, where's my soul at? Where is it at? And then I'm going to ask that after that minute when the song starts, I'm going to ask our altar ministry team to be available at the stage. I'll be up here. I want to ask you to take a bold step and get to the feet of Jesus and watch him meet your faith for a moment of breakthrough. Let me pray over us. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that your spirit is here. Hearts are ready to be touched by you, God, in a way that will change them forever. May the glory that 
met Saul on the road to Damascus radiate in this room today that our souls would be completely undone by how present you are. Lord, that we would be completely undone, that our pride and our arrogance and anything about us would fall away as we take steps down these lanes to this altar because all of us needs to go away and all of you needs to well up in us. Lord, would you meet us in a profound and powerful way? Lord, would we do this together, strengthened as the body of Christ, seeing peace in our hearts and seeing the masses come to know you. Lord, start with us. Start with us, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.